1: your hostess on this journey, all things Dominic Dunn. This week, we are continuing with the second part of our interview with Robert Hoffler, author of the wonderful Dominic Dunn biography, Money, Murder, and Dominic Dunn, A Life in Several Acts. We will drop in to part two of the conversation where we left off last week with Dominic coming back into Hollywood and, well, so much more. Let's investigate. So let's talk a little bit about that because Nick leaves Hollywood, right? Late seventies, early eighties, Oregon's it up, heads over to New York city is coming back for Dominique's trial, but also having written the winners is beginning. The two Mrs. Grenvilles has a successful career for vanity fair publishes two Mrs. Grenvilles. Goodness, A Season in Purgatory is coming out when O.J. happens. So, Dominic is reclaimed into Hollywood, right? After almost two decades in a very different sort of way. Well,
0: before the O.J., there was the Menendez, and that was Eric and Lyle Menendez murdered their parents. And Jose Menendez was a a big movie executive. And Dominic covered their first trial. There, There were two trials, but he covered the first trial. And I was living in Hollywood at the time. And that Menendez story, because, you know, here again, we get into homosexuality, but, you know, what made it so unbelievable is that the defense was that the boys were defending themselves because the father was raping them and so that just galvanized everyone's attention on this that here was this movie executive you know who lived in beverly hills and he was he and his wife were murdered by his sons whom they said was abusing them sexually since they were little children and Dominic never believed that defense after what Dominic Dunn went through with his own daughter being murdered and then sitting through that trial where as a defense for John Sweeney the guy who killed her you know they brought up stuff that Possibly wasn't even true about Dominique Dunn, you know, that she had had abortions, that she used drugs and whatever. And this was, in Dominic's mind, complete nonsense. And so when he saw Eric and Lyle Menendez vilifying their parents, it brought back all these bad memories.
1: Exactly. So he
0: always took the side of the victim. But It was that case because he wrote more than one article about Eric and Lyle Menendez. And then there was also Court TV. That really made Court TV. I think that was the first case that was covered on Court TV. It's
1: not to say, I think it was the first gavel to gavel.
0: Yeah. And Dominic appeared on TV on Friday with a guy named Robert Rand. Who was writing for Playboy and it was Robert Rand who believed Eric and Lyle Menendez, and it was Dominic who did not believe them. So every Friday on Court TV you had Dominic and you know Robert Rand going at it over the Menendez trial. So that really that and the Klaus Van Bulow article really made Dominic Dunn a star. And then he had these novels. And when he came back for the OJ, he was the A-list in Hollywood because everyone invited, wanted to invite Dominic Dunn to their party. So he would tell them what was going on
1: in the OJ case. Right, because he was that writing time, about it, he was on the phone with Elizabeth Taylor or Princess Diana talking about-
0: He was, two, you know, was with like, both hey, of those. And the thing that was really unbelievable is in his novel, An Inconvenient Woman, it was Alfred Bloomingdale had, you know, this billionaire, had this mistress, Dickie Morgan, and she was murdered by a friend of hers.
1: She wasn't really. Marvin Pankos did not murder her. I will stand on, I don't know. I have my thoughts. Well,
0: (laughs) well, Dominic Dunn would agree with you. And in Inconvenient Woman, he thought that there was a hit job on her. And in Inconvenient Woman, he kind of made it the wife of the Alfred Bloomingdale character had ordered a hit. So but even though it was a Romana Clay and the name, you know, um. Betsy Bloomingdale was never mentioned in there. I mean, obviously, the friends of Betsy Bloomingdale thought that somehow Dominic Dunn was implicating her in the death of Alfred Bloomingdale's mistress. But Dominic was so popular in Hollywood at that time that even Betsy Bloomingdale had to invite Dominic Dunn to her parties. Because
1: you you had to have
0: Dominic Dunn at your party to, you know, to have a successful party in Hollywood while the OJ Simpson trial was going to
1: talk about the case that to me is so fascinating. And the thing I think that Dunn captures so well in his writing is that he's, he's always sometimes scathing, but sometimes truthful. They are morality tales, but For him to write about Betsy Bloomingdale in that way, Nancy Reagan, I mean, he writes about Elizabeth Taylor as converse. Like he's talking about the people that are in his circle. It is so fascinating to me where he skates the fine line between it. I don't know. I guess it's almost his redemption arc of being accepted back in and maybe how much he savored it. Versus what kind of crow did all those people have to eat after ousting him? I don't know if there's a question in there, but I just find that scrub so interesting at where his writing act career led him to. I,
0: you know, Betsy Bloomingdale and Elizabeth Taylor, they were not like the swans for Truman Capote. Truman Capote was really, really friends with the Swans. So when you had all of those high society women in New York City cut off Truman Capote, you know, he went belly up. But Dominic Dunn was a little savvier than that. You know, he knew what Betsy Bloomingdale and Elizabeth Taylor were all about. He right. didn't really consider them true blue friends the way that Truman Capote you know, you know, Dave Paley, you know, it, those, those women were really not important to him. And he kind of knew that, you know, that they were using him and he was using them. Those, those were not his, his real friends. And, you know, Truman Capote did not have a family. I mean, Dominic Dunn, you know, had a, a family and people he loved. Um, he wasn't dependent on uh, Babe Paley, so Dominic was was having fun with Elizabeth Taylor and Betsy Bloomingdale and Veronica Peck, uh, Gregory Peck's wife, who had you know mistreated him in in the past, and and he wasn't dependent on them. I mean, he was writing about Hollywood. He wasn't dependent on on Hollywood and. In any way, you know. One thing that I found intriguing was, you know, most of us who write books and you know write for magazines, and I was also a a magazine editor at Life and Us and Variety. But you go through lots of different editors, and Dominic had Betty Prashker at Crown and Wayne Lawson at Vanity Fair, and the story was that. Dominic was a great reporter, but not a great writer, and that he needed to be heavily edited, and that Betty Prashker and Wayne Lawson edited him heavily. And there were stories that sometimes his articles kind of came in in lots of pieces of paper, and then Wayne Lawson whipped them into shape. And I think even Tina Brown recently talked about that he was not a great writer. What he was is he was a great reporter.
1: Well, and I mean, her back from that lunch after the dinner party before he's leaving for Dominique's trial. We can get you an editor. Why are you wasting your time telling these stories at Hollywood parties? You should be writing them down. Yes, And I do have to say,
0: I saw a number of the drafts of things. He had a style. And if you look at his diary, there were a lot of things in it that were, you know, kind of wonderfully written, but he needed an editor. And I think that's one of the reasons he stayed with Vanity Fair. And when he had a falling out with Vanity Fair, he did not leave. He kind of, you know, sucked it up and continued to to write for them. You know, Crown Publishing was the only publisher, book publisher he had. A lot of people go from publishing house to publishing house. But I think he knew his strengths and his weaknesses, and he was smart enough to hang on to good editors. But what happened at Vanity Fair is that there was this representative Gary Condit and there was an intern he had, Chandra Levy, who ended up dead. And Dominic, not in Vanity Fair, but talking on radio programs and TV programs, implicated the representative in the death of this intern. And he was sued, and I found out that he had to pay a million dollars. And he was dominant, for some reason, thought that Vanity Fair should pay his legal bills. But it was nothing that he ever wrote for Vanity Fair. And in fact, Vanity Fair had prevented him from writing about the Garrett Condit, Chandra Levy controversy in Vanity Fair because they didn't think he had the facts. And frankly, Dominic didn't have the facts and he was wrong about it. It was kind of you know, the the big mistake of his career was pursuing that story.
1: The one rare instance where he was sort of off track.
0: <laughs> he was really off track. And I have to tell you, I mean, I did a number of, a number of re- reporting in, in my time and I was a, a theater reporter at Variety and you would sometimes get these stories and they weren't exactly accurate. And if you went to press with them, boy, (laughs) you would regret it. But, you know, it's very interesting with Dominic Dunn because the Chandra Levy murder took place at a time where he needed a story. I mean, if you really look at it, it was like a golden age of murder. (laughs) And there was a line, I think it was, that Graydon Carty had was the wealthy people just aren't shooting each other at the rate we'd like them to for Dominic Dunn's purposes. Because you had Klaus Van Bulo, you had the Michael Skakel, who may or may not have killed Martha Moxley. You know, I think they let Skakel out of prison, but you had that. Then you had O.J., then you had Phil Spector. You I mean, you know, it was just this golden age. I'm trying to think you know, in the last 10 years, what are the spectacular murder cases? Now, I think if Dominic had been had continued to live and had been younger, I'm sure he would have found his way into something else. I mean, now we seem to have been kind of more consumed by Donald Trump. So it's very possible that Dominic would have been, instead of writing about murder, he would have been you know, uncovering the latest business scandal of of Donald Trump. And certainly that is a New York world that he knew backwards and
1: forwards. So that's a good point, because it wasn't just his Vanity Fair writing or his novels, his Ramona Clay novels, but he also sort of forayed into television in a weird sort of way. Dominic went back to his roots.
0: With yes, Dominic Dunn's power privilege and and justice. It it started in two thousand two. They did a little over sixty episodes, and it really went almost right up to his death. In fact, I think the last episode was aired right after his death. It's interesting with him because a a lot of the episodes were not things he'd written. He he he'd written about. But you know, he knew enough people that in he hosted these various crime episodes. But he could always put some, oh well, I met their brother when I was in college. Oh, you know, I knew them. Uh, I ran into them on vacation in, in Antibes, and you know, or whatever. So uh, he was very good at always kind of bringing whatever the crime was, uh, that he had a personal take on it, that he knew someone who was
1: involved. He's everyone's favorite dishy insider. He's the he's the guy you want to know, that you hope you're uh, seated next to at dinner.
0: Well, he was a real gossip. <laughs> and <laughs> I share that with him. I mean, I was kind of surprised when I was rereading uh my own biography of Dominic Dunn, how much gossip there was in it. And uh it was something I learned researching his life that he knew how to give some spin. And he knew that there were little lurid details that really made something interesting. Like when he was giving various reporters information about the David Begelman scandal in Hollywood, it involved the producer Ray Stark. And so he told people, you know, that Ray Stark, you know, used to be a florist at this cemetery, you know, and people did not really think of Ray Stark as a florist at a cemetery. You know, this man who produced movies like The Way We Were and Funny Girl. But it's those little details that really grab someone's interest. And I learned that when I was researching this biography.
1: You mentioned the Ann Woodward potentially accident, probably not murder, of the scion of the New York family, Billy Woodward, not too long ago. That is the next episode we're coming back to. Dominic famously based the two Mrs. Grenvilles on it and the <laughs> feud with Truman was born. Even in that story, just the dinner for the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. He's always so rich in the details and everything that you learn about in each piece of his writing always leads you to something else. One of the pieces I found truly fascinating, this is in Vanity Fair, is the one about the Palm Beach Society and what's in and what's out. It's always fascinated me how Dominic has been able to move into, to your point, Robert, all those connections within the worlds he's able to move in between.
0: What's interesting about Dominic is that he always saw himself as an outsider. And so like a lot of outsiders, he found what was inside fascinating, where a lot of times if you're part of a society and you're on the inside, you don't see it as fascinating because you realize, but he was really an observer. So he was able to observe all these things, whether it was Palm Beach Society or it was Manhattan Society. He was also a great connoisseur of royalty. He didn't write about it much for Vanity Fair, but he did occasionally. But he really knew the royal scene. He well, also took Europe, some rather, rather unpleasant
1: England. pictures of Princess Margaret. <laughs> he was always making her so mad. <laughs> Well, that
0: wasn't something she was used to. No. And it also really offended Lenny. You know, Lenny was an heiress. She was worth a lot of money, and she was an only child. And she wasn't terribly impressed with famous people because she grew up around them, you know, famous, wealthy people. But Dominic, being Irish Catholic, always felt he was a little on the outside. Now, I grew up in the Midwest, and You know, everyone was kind of, you know, Scandinavian, German, or Irish. And I didn't see much difference except one group was blonde, another one was brunette, and another one was redhead. But I think growing up on the East Coast, and particularly in Hartford, Connecticut, he felt very much an outsider. And in that way, he did identify with the Kennedys. Who were also they were not accepted into high society really until, you know, Jack married Jacqueline Bouvier. But even then, you know, they were they were Irish Catholic. That was looked down on by high society. I mean, it's kind of a world that doesn't really exist very much anymore, but Dominic was very sensitive to all of that.
1: Well it's funny to me the Twin posts of Dominic's life actually intersect with the Kennedys the way they do. Dominic was so impressed that he and Lenny's marriage in April of 54 got the same amount of coverage as Patricia Kennedy and Peter Lawford's who married that same weekend. So he has that kind of goalpost on one side and Dominic famously dies the same weekend as Ted Kennedy.
0: Yes, in fact, they delayed by 24 hours announcing that Dominic had died because they didn't want to compete with Obit Space with Ted Kennedy. Obviously, he was very fascinated with the Kennedys. He had gone to a prep school where a number of the Kennedys had gone to school, where Sergeant Shriver had gone to school. But he grew to hate them. You know, there was the William Kennedy Smith rape trial, and he saw the way in which the Kennedys really kind of used their power and prestige to kind of roll over Patricia Bauman, who was the alleged rape victim. So he had, you know, there was no love loss between the two families near the end. And then also there was... The Skakel, Michael Skakel, who was accused of killing Martha Moxley, Ethel Kennedy was a Skakel, and Dominic in A Season in Purgatory kind of uh, connected a few of the dots, even though he always maintained when he was doing publicity for the book that it was not based on the Skakels and, and the Kennedys, but, you know, it's... It's clear that that's where he was getting his, that was his his source material. What was interesting about the Skaggle is that when A Season in Purgatory came out and he was doing kind of his press tour for it, a number of people would come up to him with information about the Martha Moxley murder. And so someone even came in, I think, with a forensic report.
1: It was, it was a boxes. former researcher for the Greenwich police. who met him at the tattered cover in Denver. Mm-hmm. It was all very undercover. Yeah. And then you have the kid with the backpack in the Sutton report, like Skakel kind of yeah. messed himself up on that. But what I think probably unnerved him was he wrote that book proponing that it was Tommy Skakel when in fact, right. Michael Skakel. And then through the O.J. connection, gives that same content to Mark Furman. It's just the circles that Dominic Dunn plays in is extraordinary.
0: Well, the whole Mark Furman is particularly interesting because Dominic Dunn developed a crush on Mark Furman and felt that Mark Furman was unjustly treated because that was the whole N word thing that came up in the OJ trial. So then, you know, Johnny Cochran kind of planted it in the mind of the jury that Mark Furman was a racist and he had planted the glove, you know, at the OJ estate. So then Dominique Dunn gives Mark Furman the Sutton report, which was actually a private detective report that the Skakel family had paid uh, close to a million dollars, I think it was $700,000, that they paid for it, which was to exonerate their sons. But in fact,
1: the report
0: (laughs) kind of um, pointed the finger at at the sons. But that was a report that was given to Dominic, and then Dominic gave it to Mark Furman, uh, which did not You know, enhance Dominic's reputation with a lot of fellow journalists.
1: He was always really into something, even getting into his latter years with not only Phil Spector, but the Safra case in Monaco.
0: The Safra case, you know, that's where the nurse of, uh, what was his name? It was Lily Safra. Yeah, Ted Maurer was was the nurse, and it was Edmund Safra, who was a huge billionaire, and he died in a fire. And it was always Dominic Dunn's contention that the widow Lily Safra had something to do with that murder. And it was really something that he could in no way prove. He befriended the nurse, who was not a very reliable person.
1: Not a reliable and narrator.
0: It, it is very bizarre because, you know, why a fire took place and why the alarms were turned off. And, you know, he was, you know, Edmund Safra was like a security freak and why there were not other guards around and whatever. It is all kind of bizarre. But Dominic really latched onto that case and it was Dominic's contention that Lily Safra and other people had told Graydon Carter to stop Dominic from writing about it, where Graydon Carter just said, well, we, we ran two or three articles on it, and we thought that that was enough. And what was happening to Dominic later in his life is, you know, as Graydon said, the wealthy people just aren't shooting each other at the rate we'd like them to for <laughs> Dominic Dunn's purposes.
1: It really is a remarkable life. I don't know if that kind of life could happen again.
0: Well, I can't think of anyone who's really kind of reinvented themselves the way that he did and kind of had many different kinds of careers. And again, you can see why Tina Brown latched on to him because he just had observed and, you know, he was a very social person. A lot of people don't like to go out every night of the week, but he went out every night of the week. And he was also a professional mourner. He loved going to famous people's funerals.
1: No, I thought talk uh, about that. I also, feel that so
0: he also picked up a lot of he also picked up a lot of gossip that way. Well he would just go to famous people's funerals because famous people would show up at them. And then sometimes he would go and there wouldn't be very many people there and but he was constantly inviting people to go, oh, you know, Louis Armstrong died. Let's go to his funeral. Oh, (laughs) Christian Webb died. Let's go to his funeral. And he just thought it was, you know, great fun.
1: Well, you look at it from both sides, right? The kid who goes to visit Aunt Harriet, who wants to go to all the stars' homes, to go to Mm -hmm. all the stars' funerals. He, uh, (laughs) the part where, uh, God bless Lana Turner, right? And Johnny Sampanato. But Nick rushes in and he's just like, Have dinner, Lenny with the kids. I gotta go watch this. You know, there
0: was something about Dominic that he always kind of wanted to believe the worst in people, I do have to say. Because I think with that Johnny Sampanato, you know, Cheryl Crawford was defending her mother. And Cheryl Crawford is you know, she was a very respected real estate agent in Palm Springs and had written a book about it. But, you know, Dominic liked the really dark story that Lana Turner killed Johnny Stampanato and she blamed it on her daughter because her daughter, it wouldn't hurt her career. I I, I find it kind of preposterous. But, you know, that, that was Dominic.
1: We talked a little bit before. You went through... Something like 200 interviews, as well as his archive of papers?
0: There were over 200 interviews. I probably put out requests for over 400, and I ended up with 200. And what was really great is that the Dolph Briscoe Center for American History at the University of Texas at Austin, has an american media center and they requested his papers so he was very honored by that request because that's where you would also find the papers for people like walter cronkite and harry reasoner Uh, but he was very honored so there were like 50 boxes papers and at that time i was just going through it so rapidly and you know, was marking stuff to be uh, Xerox. And so I really didn't know what I had in a lot of cases until, you know, they sent me the Xerox copies because I was skimming through the stuff so fast. You know, and one thing I, I I never even wrote about in the book, but Dominic had finished a novel on the Menendez brothers. Again, it was a Romana Clay Really? But, you know, it was a it was a book that was never published, but if anyone wants to go read it, it's there at the Dalt Briscoe Center at the University of Texas at, at Austin. And I'm forgetting now the name of it. And when I started reading it and it obviously changed the names, but it was clear to me that why the book wasn't published and it didn't seem to be working is that Dominic didn't understand like the Cuban immigrant experience because Jose Menendez, the father, was born in Cuba and then was this, you know, man, self-made multimillionaire who was very successful in Hollywood. And that was a society that Dominic did not understand. And it seemed that the book just wasn't working, but it it never was published. But if anyone wants to go read it, it's it's there at the library.
1: I think you've just planned my next road trip, Robert. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had no idea such a thing existed.
0: Yeah, no, I'm forgetting the name of the book now. And then you know it was one of those things that there was so much, and I I I was cutting so much from my Oh, and, and like I say, the you know, the year, the six months he spent in Oregon, I think I had like 15,000 words. And then finally, I just was like, OK, you know, no one's interested in 15,000 words on Dominic Dunn, but uh, maybe you would be. But, you know, if you went through, you could go through his his diaries. A lot of it was typed out. You know, I, I can't say that there were like when i say diaries there there were like pieces of paper where he had jotted things down and sometimes he even wrote them uh he he typed them up but it wasn't like you know there was you know a number of physical diaries there
1: robert i can't tell you how grateful i am for you coming to join us today and giving us a different insight to our,
0: well thank you it's been, it's been a real here, pleasure right? i've enjoyed it
1: you are welcome back anytime. I'll let you know it when the road me anytime. trip. I'm here. Is I'm happening here. <laughs> to Texas.
0: When you go give me a call cuz I I have a feeling that there's probably a whole other book in there because I was going through the papers there were 50 boxes of papers and I was going through papers so fast that I'm I'm sure I missed some real nuggets.
1: I feel like a friendship has been born today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you again. And everybody check out Robert's book.
0: Money, murder, and Dominic Dunn. A life in several acts.
1: Even if you think you know everything about Dominic Dunn, you're going to find new things in it. I promise y'all you're going to love, they're going to make you just think about it in a completely different way. Robert, again, thank you for your time. Thank you. Such a treat. Take care. Thanks so much for joining me today on this episode of Done and Done. I appreciate your time and, as always, your kind reviews and emails. What a delightful voyage this year has been, mainly because of you. Your next Done Day is coming Monday, August 2nd. We will be returning to some old-time true crime. August will have us covering two cases that intrigued our man Nick in his early life. So intriguing were they to him, He wrote a wonderful piece in Vanity Fair about one of them and wrote a novel about the other, the two Mrs. Grenvilles, that we talked about a little bit in this interview. Can't wait to see you back on August 2nd. Until we meet again, friends, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com.